Welcome, welcome! The time has come to select the courageous men and women for the honor of representing science fiction and fantasy in the 58th annual Hunger Games! Um, Hugo <laughs> Awards. Um... No, it's Hugo Awards. Hugo Awards. Hunger. I think that's a good idea for redoing the Hugo Awards. I think I just... Yeah, yeah, I'm mean. I... I'm lean. You're, you're ready yeah. to take him out for the awards, are you? <laughs> that's right. Mono, um, mono. Uh, I don't know. Some of them are younger and fitter. I mean, I would have felt much more comfortable if Gardner was still in the in the, in the Hugo's, and I reckon You're I could take him out. That's, that's awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I take it back. He probably could take me. I, well, I don't know. I think. I could take <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, welcome back, Kidge. Yay! Hi. It's nice to see you guys, or not see you, but hear your melodious voices. <laughs> yeah, we were just hanging around. This past weekend at ICFA, so we were. We still... I saw plenty of Gary. You what? I saw plenty of Gary. Well, enough. I mean, you said no, no, you're kind of. Okay. Wrong, actually, <laughs> but... No, that's great. And was it for fun? It was fun. It was wonderful. Um, many, uh, many gin and grapefruit juices were consumed, and there was much ranting, at least on my part, about the patriarchal hegemony. So it was a great weekend, I thought. And, and, and sure. And, and we should mention we should mention the Kedge was a guest of honor. Yes. Okay. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Whose, whose guest of honor reading was probably the funniest one I've ever heard at ICFA. <laughs> but That's I don't know how a much. Lot. You, uh, I've heard it is saying a lot. There are friends of mine who I've never seen break into a guffaw, break into multiple guffaws. Uh, Excellent. Guffawing is good. Do, do you want to? Do you want to? Have, I don't know. Has that story been ready? Do you want to explain what what you did to Spar? Oh, I will. And in fact, effective April first, it will be available online at Clark's World, where the original oh. Spar was. So Spar is what it was, which was um, kind of. It was itself. Uh, the bacon remix of Spar was for a. Uh, <laughs> non <laughs> it was for a, a fundraiser for a uh, um, for a school in Brooklyn, and uh, a handful of us were asked to take popular stories of ours and baconate them, uh, bring bacon into the story. And so I rewrote Spar, replacing all of the sex with bacon. And it still worked pretty well, I thought. Um, it worked pretty well. And it was, uh, and it was uh, a lot of fun to read. I don't think I've ever had such a warm response. I read other stories as well during my reading, but that's the one afterwards. Everybody came up and wanted to talk oh, yeah. to me about that. One. <laughs> but now it'll be readily available. It'll be online, so you can awesome. see it. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing and hearing it. And does that mean that actually it now constitutes a new story and would be uh, eligible for awards next year? Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I mean, yes, it would be, but, and it's longer than Mantis' wife, so maybe, but it's a silly, silly story. I don't think I would even, I think I would withdraw it in the unlikely event that it got that. <laughs> I think you better brace yourself. Not only that, I would be you're, too you're, embarrassed. I need to write some other stuff so this one gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> well, I mean, one of, one of the things this does is it's it sort of dilutes a little bit the unity of, of let me, dilute something of what Spar did to your recognition. Does that make any sense? True. Yeah. I mean, it, not that we want to see it again. I mean, if, if you're, we'll know you're in a rut if next year we see Spar 3, the cupcake. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but still, 
Spar was just such. I mean, it was not the first award-winning story you got. It's not. It was not the one in the first. But that really seemed to be a story that everybody knew. And one of the things that struck me about it is there. It struck struck to me about this ballad as well. There are not a lot of short stories or novellas that everyone in the field seems to know uh, within yeah. the same 12, 12 month period. Yeah, that's true. Why do you think that is? My guess is it's because of this diffusion of venues. <clears throat> it used to be, I was looking actually, um, looking back at some of the awards uh, records because I was thinking uh, that this seems to be your fifth consecutive Hugo nomination yeah. in a short fiction category. Um, yeah. And that's kind of impressive. <laughs> that's, that puts me in the Harlan Ellison territory. No, um, it doesn't. Nothing would put me in the Harlan Ellison category. But I noticed that. I was sort of surprised. It kind of crept up on me and went, oh, my goodness. But I'm in my office at work where I keep the awards, so I have them right here so I can look <laughs> so often. Cool. Well, actually, I was going to say, you made reference to the patriarchal hegemony a oh. moment ago, and it strikes oh, yeah. me that that is a near-perfect segue into the topic of today's <laughs> podcast. Which yeah. is the announcement in the wee small hours of this morning, Perth time, and other times elsewhere around the world, of the nominees for the 2013 Hugo Awards. Yeah. And I guess we so, could still... Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan, I, we both I want you to explain where the... Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, we want your segue here. <laughs> That, that was the segue, just simply that uh -huh. you know, it, it, patriarchal hegemony, and I, I actually did a quick count of the 150 names that appear on this ballot, some of them multiple times, uh -huh. 100 of them are men, uh -huh. really. which strikes me as being a rather high balance for recent years. Yeah. A lot of them, I mean, you have to take, take into consideration that, you know, it's like dramatic presentations and stuff like that. That's all going to be all guys all the time. You know, it's like if we sort of look at the core stuff, at the fiction, at the yeah. editing and stuff, I think maybe the numbers are a little more balanced. Yeah. But, you know, Hollywood and television are always going to show like all guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, let me ask you both then. What are you, what are you maybe starting with you, Kids, and then over to you, 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 Gary? What are your overall impressions of the ballot? I mean, allowing that we all are compromised because we appear on it. <laughs> that's true. Well, I think hmm. that some... Amazingly insightful selections are going on yes. here. <laughs> Just brilliant. I think brilliant stuff is happening. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, I was I did notice the the gender break because I I do think that's notable, and I think more and more it's going to become just the commonplace. People are not going to be even noticing it, commenting on it. Um, I was uh, kind of looking at the ethnicity break, and we had that amazing year for the nebulas a couple of years ago when the um, the range was broad. And I don't see that so much this time. We have some of it, but we don't. We, it's not dominated by uh, by just sort of diversity. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true, though. I mean, you do have um, people of different ethnic backgrounds from within the United States. And there are right. one, or two, one or two nominees. I think there's one from um, Northern Europe, from from the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And but that's probably about it. I mean, it is a, a pretty, in that sense, I, I guess a, the new version of an old-fashioned ballot in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, but I a got, lot more women back in the day. <laughs> yeah. What, what did you think, Gary? Um, I wasn't really thinking. I, I, I had noticed that there are 
um, well, the, the, the novel category has um, a, a, some variety in it, but my, my general sense was uh, not, I guess it was that it was an old-fashioned ballot in some ways. There are, as Kidge said, there are some brilliant selections on it, some of them not even involving us. And there are some, but there are some very predictable selections on it as well. There are names that we've seen here for years, and some of the names that we haven't seen for years are on here for stories that are in some ways very old-fashioned stories. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, Kid, Kid, one of Kid's competitors is Ken Liu's story, which I only know because Jonathan you know, puts together a year's best. Um, and it's a very good story, but it's a very old-fashioned kind of Heinlein space hero story. Oh, that's cool, though. I mean, I think it it's cool. nice. To, it's nice to have, you know, to to have the genre look at itself and look backwards and forwards. I think mm-hmm. that's wonderful. And I think also the fact that it's contextualized in the sense of it's a, a Japanese character in a book called The Future is Japanese, written by someone with an Asian background. It does give it a slightly different slant, I think, contextually. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, in some ways, it could have appeared in Astounding quite some time ago. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess the first thing I notice about the ballot is that this is another record year and a string of record years for nominate, nominations. Ballots are up 20% over last year. Right. Which is, which is terrific. Obviously, the more people involved, uh, you know, the better. I assume, though I don't have any figures, the vast number of nominations are put in online, which means you're going mm-hmm. to get you know, the impact of online communities. Um, there are some things, I mean, if we're happy to go through category by category that I've noticed, so I'd be curious to know your thoughts. So we might do that. Are you happy to do that? We sure can. Okay. Sure. Let's start with best novel. Best novel, best novel. Where votes are up 16%, which is nice. And one of my favorite books of the year appears in 2312 by Stan Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a major return to form for him. I wasn't a great fan of Galileo's Dream, I confess. So I'm really pleased to see that. Um, And I'm very, very pleased to see Saladin Ahmed appear with his first novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon. Yeah, I'm happy with that too. I think that's wonderful. What did you think of the ballot? Of the novel ballot. Well, are I you asking? Yeah, you both of you. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, Kidge, if you have any particular reactions, I don't. I've not read all these things by a long time. Uh-huh. I've read. I've read four of them. Oh, you're way ahead of uh, me. Yeah, yeah. So you can tell us. No, I love. I pretty much love everything Kim Stanley Robinson writes, and I was thrilled to see this. So I was really happy about that. I'm kind of curious what people think about the Lois McMaster Bushalt. Is that one of the ones you've read, Jonathan? I have read that book, yes. What did you think of it? I think it's a very entertaining science fiction romance, is what I think. Okay. uh, And I think that for all the people who are lovers of the the Vorkosigan series, and it's the latest installment, um, it'll be a very popular book. Um, The thing to remember about... Bujold is she's what she's won the Hugo five times out of twelve nominations, yeah. and she is tied with Robert Heinlein for the most novel wins of all time. She's won best novel four times. Wow! Yeah. So you'd have to figure that she's a pretty solid, ch- you know, pretty solid chance with this. I think yeah, so. Yeah, but Scalzi too. Yeah, I mean, but Scalzi. Well, she also has popular. a. Yeah, Scalzi. Well, uh, Scalzi and and Bujold certainly have. And, and actually, Mira Grant, uh, substantial fan bases. So mm-hmm. that's part of the reason. And, and the fan bases affect these sorts of things. It's one of the reasons I'm impressed also with Saladin Ahmed making the ballot with his first novel, because uh, even though it was a very successful and popular novel, I gather, uh, his name 
has been around with short stories for a few years, but not that widely around. No. Yeah, yeah. My curiosity about the Mira Grant novel, Blackout, is just absolute trivia. This probably is the first time a novel with the same title as a novel that won two or three years earlier gets nominated. <laughs> true, true. Because Connie Willis's Blackout was... It's also probably the first time that someone's had uh, more nominations. I mean, she had four nominations last year because Mira Grant is Sean mm. and McGuire. So she had four mm. nominations last year. She got five nominations this year. Uh, and I think this is her 10th. So she said 10 in three years. Yeah. Um, she won for the uh, best fan cast last year for the Squee cast. Her, mm -hmm. her novel Deadline, which I think was a, a prequel, well, it precedes this in the same series, I think, uh, came fourth on the ballot last year. So I don't know what that means. And for Scalzi, I agree he's got an enormous fan base, but it's interesting. I mean, he's been nominated nine times, won mm. twice, but they're both for his fan work, not his fiction. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I literally don't know whether that suggests that he's more popular as a personality than he is as a writer, though he's very popular as a writer, or what it is, you know. Um, but that makes for an interesting breakdown. Well, also, if we're looking at this breakdown of uh, retro retro-leaning or retro-peering uh, science fiction. Red Shirts is very deliberately a look and a parody at, 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 at the past, at, specifically at Star yeah. Trek, I suppose. And I think John would probably put forward quite reasonably that it's the first, uh, it's the first time in some time that a work of science fiction humor has uh, been nominated for Best Novel. That's true. You know, it's not something that gets done very widely these days. And even if it's a mm -hmm. fairly simple humorous setup... Um, Nonetheless, you know, it, it, it was a very popular book. It's an interesting thing. It's difficult. It seems to me that it's getting increasingly difficult to write humor in science fiction if you're not doing some variation on, on Douglas Adams or Doctor Who. Yes. Mm. That I, seems to have just taken over the humor part of the field and the uh, yeah. sort of satirical humor. Where, what you get here is just rare. Where are the uh, P.G. Woodhouse pastiches that I long to read? <laughs> yes. Well, uh, the year's not over yet. Kids, you could some. Space. Well, I had a student in one of my workshops a few years back yeah. who was writing a brilliant French bureaucracy, P.G. Woodhouse, alien first contact novel. And it was such a great idea. I kept threatening to come over and kick her. She lives in <laughs> India. And mm -hmm. I'm almost ready to just get on a plane and go over there and kick her. So, G.S., if you hear this, get on it. <laughs> I guess my, my feeling is that I it's a very enjoyable, entertaining ballot. I think 2312 is the most substantial book on the list to my my way of reading. Um, that's interesting, huh? I just noticed there's, you know, two of the books are from Orbit, which is interesting as well. Uh, I don't know that they've had that, that happened before. Mm. Uh, there are other books of substance that came out during the year that I would have loved to have seen make the best novel ballot, particularly maybe mm. Empty Space by Mike Harrison, though I think that maybe is a bit oh, unrealistic yeah. to have expected that since it's not come out in the United States yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. It's interesting that, yeah, it's also interesting that there's only one Tor novel on the ballot. It seems to me that for years they've been a very strong presence on the best novel ballot. Yes, I think that's probably true. Uh, and it's the first time that Daw have been on the ballot in a while, I think you'll find. Oh, no, no, wasn't sure. Nadia Korafor's book, Who Fears Death Above? That was a Daw book. See, yeah. which which does is part that of that whole d discussion we've had about changes happening there. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So anyway, is there anything that you you've read during the year that you would love to have seen make the best novel ballot? Don't look at me. I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> 
How about you, Gary? Do you have a choice? You know, if you could have picked one book to add to this ballot, oh, what would you pick? You know, we, we, talk, we talk about this all the time. So, of course, I, I thought the best the best novel all year uh, was Empty Space. Yeah. Um, and that may come around. It's a problem because it's a third novel in the series. It's a problem because it's not out in the United States. And it's a problem because it's fairly dense. If we're moving out into, as which the science, the Hugo Awards now do, you know, permitting um, fantasy as part of this, then I would have liked to have seen, uh, although it would have been a real stretch, Caitlin Kiernan's The Drowning Girl. Yeah, I'd love to have seen it, Maggie. Oh, yeah. yeah. But then she's up for the nebula, as two of these books are, in fact. Because 2312 and Throne of the Crescent Moon are also nebula nominees this year. Yeah, okay. Which actually makes for a fantastic performance for a first novel from Saladin. Yeah, well, he was definitely. on the shortlist. Uh, he was on the shortlist for the Crawford Award as well, I believe. Yeah, yep, there you go. Maybe I'm not sure. Now then, there's novella. Have you guys read any of the novellas? No, it's not Nancy Cress. Yeah. No, I've read Nancy Cress and um, and um, Brandon Sanderson. Okay. I, I to be honest, <laughs> I started the Brandon Sanderson. I had a copy and of it. And you did thought, finish oh, it, huh? <laughs> I didn't dislike it, but it was one of those things where it's and Jonathan's heard me talk about this before kids there. There are books that you don't finish because they're not very good. And there are books that you don't finish because it's too late to actually review them when you have stuff that you have to read. So a book right, has to be yeah. really compelling way through to finish it when I should be reading something else. Right. Um, yeah, I, exactly. I thought it was fine. I, yeah. OK. Um, I've read three I, of I, the I do think the Nancy Chris. Yeah. I do think the Nancy Chris novella is, is underrated. I think she does in a novella length um, the kind of post-apocalyptic um, alien invasion story that most writers today would stretch out into three volumes at least. Uh, so I uh -huh. like the efficiency yeah. behind that kind of storytelling. Even though it's hard to say it's underrated yeah. when it's actually on the Hugo ballot, Gary. Who? It is on the Hugo ballot. And in fact, I think it's on the well, Nebula okay. ballot as well. So... I was. I was, <laughs> didn't seem to a lot of discussion at the time. <laughs> well, well, Jonathan, uh, you yeah. must have read all of them. No, I've read three of them. I've read uh, Nancy's post-apocalyptic story, uh, Elliot de Bodard and, and Jay Lake's stories, which were are both terrific stories, actually. Um, um, big science fiction adventure stories, really, really good. I unfortunately overlooked the uh, Mira Grant, which came out as an Orbit short fiction standalone ebook. And it's mm -hmm. oh. kind of easy to overlook those things. It's one of the problems in the modern era is it's, there's stuff comes out everywhere that's sometimes easy to overlook. And I had a look at the um, Brandon Sanderson at World Fantasy last year. Um, things I noticed about the ballot, th three stories appear on the Nebula ballot as well. The Crest, uh -huh. the Lake, and the De, De, De Bodard story. Uh, the, mm. the Mira Grant st uh, novella is part of her series and a similarly published novella last year, which also came out from Orbit as a standalone ebook called Countdown, was on the ballot last year and came in fifth. Yeah, um, that's right. Probably the most remarkable thing, I think, in the short fiction ballot, though, is this, of the three short fiction categories. Jay Lake's The Stars Do Not Lie is the only story from a print magazine on the Hugo ballot. Yeah. <laughs> huh. <clears throat> And this wow. gets back to a point I was making earlier, Kidge, as to why it was so unusual for everybody to read a story like Sparm. Because back in the 60s, when Harlan was getting, I don't know how many consecutive nominations, um, you know, stories were appearing in FNSF, or what was um, then analog, and uh, or, yeah, it was already analog, or, um, or like, Asimov's wasn't around, 
Um, but the point is, if there were three, I'm sure if you went back and looked, there, if there are three or four major print venues that print all the stories that end up on the Hugo ballot, that radically increases the chances of a lot of people, or almost everybody active in the field, reading the top two or three stories sure, that year. Yeah, the chances are yeah. they will have read them before the Hugos even get voted on. True. Now, if, you, yeah. if you've got if you've got a hundred venues, the chances of people seeing the same story in each of those hundred venues, it's just mathematically far less probable. But pr- obviously, the, the the major online venues are having more influence because I mean, three of the twelve short story nominees this year come from Clark's World. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, and that's what I'm thinking is that your argument maybe doesn't hold up as much because what's um, first off, everything is available to everybody. If it's online, you can find it. It's not. It's not right. hard to find these any more than it was hard to find the stories in the three magazines that were the only ones out. So, and second off, we do have these magazines like Clark's World, which is really just crushing as far as this stuff goes. They're, they are they are really important magazine. They are Asimov's yep. for their period. Pretty well, much. I think that's the other mm. They do publish a lot less fiction well, than Asimov's. Is, but yes, Gary, sorry. Well, that. Well, I mean, okay. First of all, I think that supports my argument. They're publishing less fiction, so each piece of fiction they publish is more visible to more people. True. And secondly, True. Clark's world, Clark's world is actually this. This may represent more of a sea change than, uh, than than simply where the stories come from. Clark's world, you're right, has established itself as an Asimov's. In other words, it has established uh-huh. a level of legitimacy with the print magazines that very few websites have done. And once you get to that point. Uh, mm. Then, then essentially, there's no difference between uh, a, a print magazine and an online magazine because the serious readers are going to go for both. Right, exactly. And I wonder if either of you can speculate on who else is doing that. I mean, what other online magazine has developed that kind of stature at this it, point? Anybody? Tor.com. I think Tor.com. I think, Tor.com. Yeah, Tor.com. you're right. Uh, and Tor.com. Subterranean, I think. Yeah, yeah. Subterraneans published uh, major award nominees and winners uh, and gets a lot of talk. So those three, and there's a couple who are sort of like coming up behind and you see them further down the ballot if we have time to go through them. But um, Mm -hmm. you'll see that uh, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Apex, Strange Horizons are getting more and more profile. But certainly certainly Clark's World, Subterranean, Tor.com, and actually I can't believe I overlooked it, Lightspeed. Those four yeah, yeah. Are, have oh, yeah. a lot of lot of prior, a lot of profile these days, and you could argue that if say the four top print magazines are Asimov's Analog, FNSF, and Interzone, they correspond mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. these four online magazines. And if today, if you were to pick the top four, because there's always the talk in the history, you know, historically in science fiction of the big four, you'd have to go right. what Asimov's, FNSF, Clark's World, and maybe Tor.com or Subterranean as your big four, with Analog beginning to drop out in terms of the way it's talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually, I would think Tor.com, you know, if you had to limit it to four, I would say Tor.com would be the fourth one. And I mean, so it, the, uh, yeah. Clark's World, Tor.com, Asimov's. Mm-hmm. And Tor.com is publishing more, more and, yeah, Tor.com is publishing more and more fiction, having added Anne Vandermeer and Ellen Datlow's editors, and they pay more mm-hmm. than anybody else in the field. It's the truth, yeah. <laughs> uh, they pay, I mean, they pay more than double what Clark's World pay, and Clark's World pay more than what Asimov's pay. Yeah. So, you know, that's and the that way. And that matters. That, I mean, that actually makes a difference for sending stuff out. So. Of course it does. You're going to sit there and do I want 20 cents a word? Do I want five cents a word? You know, uh, and when not long ago, uh, I mean, I don't know, currently know off the top of my head what FNSF are paying, but I assume it's similar to what um, 
Asimov's an analog of paying. But if you're not paying those those kind of dollars, you're not a serious um, you know, performer. And one of the things that happened this year was, I think, th- you know, through various uh, subscription drives and everything else, Clark's World increased their pay rate to what ten cents a word, I think it is, which really puts them mm-hmm. as a very significant market on top of the amount of uh, the awards, the attention they're getting, and all that. So yeah, it's part of that interesting. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned. Yeah, I was, I was I was going to add to that that you've all um, you've, you've also mentioned highly respected, well-known editors moving into in, into venues like that, and I think that makes yeah. a difference over time as well. That the, what happens with an online zine, and I'm I'm positive, I'm I'm convinced that somewhere ten or le- t- ten or fewer years ago, there was some elderly science fiction writer giving advice, possibly to Clarion Workshop. Don't you young whippersnappers go publishing online or you'll never get a Hugo nomination. Uh, <laughs> and probably 10 or 15 years ago, that might have been true. <laughs> it might have been, but it's not anymore. I mean, I remember when, uh, in fact, I remember when Sean Wallace, who's associated with Clark's World, uh, used to keep mm-hmm. these obsessive statistics about how seriously online fiction was being taken. And now it feels like mm-hmm. this pointless conversation because <laughs> there, there really is no significant difference in how they're perceived. And if anything, online is, is, is more widely read simply because it's easier to access. Often it's free. I mean, like the Tor.com stories are more widely read because they're free. Clark's World stories are free. You have to pay for all this other stuff. I mean, one of the things that's impressive, I guess, about Mira Grant slash Shauna McGuire is she's got a standalone story that uh, people have had to pay for uh, from Orbit that, that has uh, gone on the novella ballot. And on the novelette ballot, which we'll get to in a minute, she's got a self-published mm-hmm. story uh, just downloaded off her website. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ways of getting profile online, and that's swamping the traditional mag- magazines whose – Subscription bases have been dropping, though it's interesting that Asimov's have been actually improving. And the last I saw, they were just about to level with analog for the first time, I think, ever. So that's hmm. impressive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is impressive. Now, before we run out I think out the of, other yeah. thing – Yeah. I was, I was going to add a parenthesis to that, that historically, when, when you were buying the magazines, uh, you, were, you were paying for other people's taste. Yes. You were, I, I, I liked fantasy and science fiction when I was a kid better than I liked analog. Uh, and I knew that because the editors, and that's been one of the most consistently edited magazines for the last 50 years, I think, in terms of you know, adherence to literary quality. What happens is that it takes a while for a magazine to establish that identity. And Clark's World mm-hmm. has the identity now. Yeah, very it, it is a magazine that is, uh, that there are readers out there who are, I'm sure, thinking, I can trust what, Clark World's, what Clark's World puts up. It's a magazine of quality. Yeah. yeah, and of a particular kind of quality too. I think you know, mm. because they're, you know, he he picks such interesting stuff. And I say, as somebody who loves, you know, having stories there, but mm-hmm. I think you know, from the very beginning, he had a real consistency of vision, and I think that helped him get a leg up on having a presence sooner. Yeah. Because yeah, you can trust him, but you also know that what you're going to get is going to give you a certain kind of response. Yeah. Now, so we move on to best novelette, uh, mm. where ballot you know, nominations were up twenty percent, which is nice. There's at least yeah. one author who I'd never heard of before, Thomas Alderhuvelt. Love the name. Who's published in Postscripts, oh. and as it turns out, is a uh, a young tour de force writer from the Netherlands who's had four novels out. His first book came out when he was nineteen. Wow. Yeah. And I, th- I think he's in his mid twenties now, and sort of this is one of his. I think it's one of his few stories published in English, and I've not, mm. I confess, read it. <laughs> no. Fade, fade to white is the only one of these I've read. I'm afraid. Oh, shame on you! You should. You haven't read the girl thing who went out for sushi. 
You never oh, sent me a free copy of Edge of Infinity. Well, I mean, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I actually read The Girl Thing Who Went Out for Sushi because I published uh-huh. it. Ooh. And uh-huh. if I have to say, first of all, I'm just thrilled it's there. I love the story to death. It's a, uh, it, it's a story about um, biomodification, and it's set in orbit around uh, Jupiter. And sushi are basically post-humans who've got different, you know, non-standard morphology, multiple limbs, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so the girl who thing who went out for sushi is this young woman who goes in for extreme biomodification in the story. It's a terrific story. Mm-hmm. It's it's Pat's fifth nomination and her first since 1993. Yeah, that's really? one of the things that I'm delighted by. Seeing seeing her on the ballot is tremendous because you know you look at I'm going to put on my old fart hat now. Yeah. You look at these lists and so many of these people are like young enough to be my children, <laughs> and so I kind of like seeing somebody who's like a peer every so often. <laughs> well, I mean, what surprises me is that Pat's written some absolutely terrific stories in the last five or six. She years. has. And, uh, yeah, I, there are a couple I've seen that I, I was, and, and I'm trying to, re- one of them is set in London, I'm trying to remember the title of it right now. Um, not a lot, yeah. but it strikes me that that's a long gap between nominations. For, for Pat, oh yeah, she's, and, and she's been yeah. doing some terrific work. For Pat, yeah. She's actually doing a novel based on this story at the moment, or she was the last I heard, so I'm really hoping that yeah. that will come together, because she's someone who's been being sadly neglected, I guess, over the last five or ten years. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. particularly since she moved to London. So I'm really happy to see that sort of happen, yeah. get that kind of profile in the story is read. Cat Valenti's story is also up for the Nebula. It's a terrific science fiction story. I love it. That actually mm-hmm. is very good. Yeah. I confess. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. And I confess to not having read either of the Sean and Maguire stories. I know that In Sea Salt Tears is part of a series of free stories she's been publishing on her website that are related to a series of novels of hers. And that's really all I know about it. She writes a lot. <laughs> She's a very prolific lady. Uh, uh-huh. and, 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 and actually, I should say, like Shonen, the only Cat uh, Valenti's only Hugo win out of her five nominations is for her podcast because they do the same podcast together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, and then can we go on straight away to because we're going to run out of time to the most what I think is one of the most interesting things that's happened on this ballot, which is the short story ballot. Yeah, yeah. And I'll start I feel with, like we should just we should play Cutthroat Gin for this. <laughs> Well, can I point this out? This is the lowest number of nominees in the category since 1968. Hmm. That was a lot. In the 1960s, there were three occasions when three stories appeared on the ballot. It's never happened since. And the Uh reason is because of uh, Rule 3, or Section 3.8.5 of the WSFS Constitution, which says that to make the final ballot, you must get 5% of the total nominations or more. So what do we think? So, so you did the math earlier, I know. So what that means is that these three stories, of which one is mine, um, is that these three stories each got 30-some votes, and nobody else got 33. 30 votes. Yeah. So it is a fragmented field is what it's saying. It's a fragmented, um, you know, that means that a, probably a lot of people got 28 votes and mm-hmm. 8 votes and 4 votes. So I don't know mm-hmm. I, because if that happens consistently, that can be very, that could really change sort of the way the award is if it's just two candidates, guess, yeah. two ballots. Yeah, I guess what, I guess that's what's confusing about the award to somebody who might be a first-time attendee is that you would, one way of reading it to somebody who doesn't understand these labyrinthine voting procedures is, oh well, <laughs> these are the consensus stories, these are the stories that everybody likes, and what it's saying instead is that. 
these are the three stories that bob to the top. Uh, of a, yeah. Of a, and the funny thing is, this is the one category where I've read all three stories, and I think they're all terrific. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got Immersion. Yay! Immersion is a fantastic short story about uh, body image. Uh, set mm-hmm. in the far future setting where women are able to, where you, you wear these immersive suits where you can, you can project different images of your body. And mm-hmm. it's a really interesting, interesting, meaty kind of a story. Mm-hmm. Monono, where, where, which we talked about, the Ken Liu story earlier, um, is a old, a very traditional, kind. in fact, it's probably the most traditional science fiction story here. And then, of course, <laughs> there's yeah. your story, Kidge, which is gentle and kind and sweet and full of yeah. ponies. And eating... It's like a bunny story. <laughs> Kind of a romance, yeah. It's like spar with cannibalism. Yeah, and shorter too. This, I guess, it's, um, it is to, I believe, the shortest story to ever have been on the ballot. Wow. Um, which lowers the record from the last shortest story to ever have been on the ballot, which was also mine, I think. <laughs> so wow. eventually, I'll write a six-word story. <laughs> so, so you are the most efficient writer in the history of the sci- of science fiction. Then. It is possible. It is possible <laughs> that I'm an efficient writer. That would be one interpretation. <laughs> well, that you're you're able to sort of be very concise in what you have to say, obviously, and and the, yeah. the voters. Um, Respond to it. I mean, I guess this is one of those instances, though, where you look around and go that you're probably you would have the longest career of of any of the writers in the category. <laughs> it's true, but that's because they're both like eighteen or something. No, they're not. <laughs> but no, they're but not. Um, and I know Ken has written and Ayat has written, but um, I just uh, I just for some reason I seem to have uh, turned into sort of a an old dom of the field, I guess. Mm. Um, which I'd like to think everybody that there would be more of us, but yeah. there aren't. I, I, well, here's one of the things that I'm, I'm wondering, uh, because it seems to me that this is a, a sort of stark contrast ballot in, in terms of voting. Because we've talked about Mano Noawari is uh, a, a very good but somewhat sentimental and old-fashioned story. Mantis Wives is not very sentimental and is sort <laughs> of experimental in form. And, and I, don't, I, I don't imagine a lot of uh, nominators would have put both of those stories on the same ballot together. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I did. Okay. So, you know, I, my suspicion, suspicion is that there's going to be a lot of no awards given this time. Um, because there's going to really? be a lot of people are like, I wouldn't give that. I mean, they're going to like one of these three stories because they're all different. But I think there are going to be a lot of people who would say, I would rather have no award than have Mantis Wives, um, especially, I think. Um, I think people... The, I think people may vote with no award this year. Interesting. That's why. Hmm. Uh, it occurs to me, by the way, we've not been playing the standard game of what. What maybe if, we'll, if we have time, we'll very quickly go through the what you think will win and should win. But um, mm. even though we might out of mm. you know di- diplomacy skip this particular category, though I think you've got a very good chance. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think this is the future writ small. I think it is. I mean. You've got a broad diversity of stories getting a small number of readers. I think it's going to take a while for the awards to get traction and for centralized uh, people to find a way to talk about stories enough that they've read the similar enough groups of stories to vote in a way that you get more than 5% of the vote. And you've got young writers. You've got the the whole – I mean, obviously, there are only three writers, so it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. to say the gender-ethnic balance and everything else is kind of there. But at least it it is a a young, vital kind of a a, a ballot. And I'll be very interested, actually, to see – 
the final voting statistics that come out at the end of August, because they will show us the stories that came 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, and we'll be able to see just how close it was. Because I wouldn't be surprised right. to see yeah. you've got like six stories that are like one vote off. Right. I think that's yeah. quite possible. That, that's what I, I do think. So, anyway. Congratulations again. I think it's an incredibly well-deserved nomination, Kidge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Then there's was, be- um, as I go- said, it was a surprise. So. <laughs> Then we go on to best related work. You know, but by the way, kids, yeah, sorry. just 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 to make sure, you're not going to do Mantis Wives over with Bacon, are you? <gasps> oh, it's genius, oh genius, <laughs> genius. In Jeez. fact, everything I ever write, I'm going to write a really cheesy, super short um, pastiche on it. <laughs> I think that's going to be my mission in life. So basically, the next book from Small Beer is going to be at the mouth of the River of Bacon. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, and it's going to be moving and powerful, and it's going to have bacon in it. The sequel will be about bourbon. Oh, the, the man who bridged the bacon, no. This is going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> so best related work. Just, this, best just related a, work. Parenthesis, the kids, the next time you're in Chicago, there's a restaurant down the street from me. It's just called The Hash House. But for, for, for brunch, they've started offering a bacon, lettuce, and tomato Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah. And it actually has it's like they bacon, knew it actually I has bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Yeah. Okay, that's a little weird, but I'll try it. I'll well, try it, Gary. It's it's not bad. Well, okay. it is weird, but it's not bad. It's right. Are we down to so best, best related best work? Related. We're at best related work where nominations are up thirty percent over last year, which is interesting. Um, because it shows more interest for some reason in this particular year's ballot than last. What are your collective uh-huh. view, thoughts on this? I confess to have only having read one of the books. On this, or in fact, there are actually four books and a podcast. So there's one book uh-huh. I've read here. And how about you guys? Anything? I have not. I'm, well, actually, I have read chunks of the Cambridge Companion to yep. fantasy literature on account of that's what I do now. Um, but I think, it, as always, best related work is such a broad mix because you have these deeply scholarly works, like neck to neck with um, things that are maybe not quite as scholarly, perhaps we'll say. Um, yeah. And I always find it's, how do you compare these things? How do you judge, you know, how can you compare the Cambridge Companion to fantasy literature, to writing excuses? Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm always wondering, it's, it almost feels like it's different voters voting for them. I think, I, I, think, I completely think it's different voters, and I think this is not a, this is not a, a measure of comparative quality, it's a measure of uh, different subsets of voters, completely different constituencies. Right, yeah. uh, well, yes, Cambridge, I'm in the Cambridge Companion. So this is a little bit of Cambridge. yours. Interesting that what, this is slightly your nomination then, Gary. I've got a piece of it. And uh, the earlier volume, the Cambridge Companion to Science Fiction, which I'm also in, won the Hugo Award at the Glasgow World Con. Yeah, in 2005. Uh, yeah. And I think in 2005, yeah. And I think that if this, frankly, I think if this year's World Con were held in the UK, it would win again. Um, but apart from that, it's very unusual for... Um, a kind of science fiction reference book, undergraduate text, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, to to make yeah. this. So my guess is that there's a there's a strong number of there's a strong basis of support for the Cambridge Companion to fantasy literature, and as I said before in your category, Kidge, I don't think a lot of people are going to have put the Cambridge Companion to fantasy as number one and Chick's Dig Comics as number two. I just don't <laughs> think a lot of people are putting both of those on the same ballot. 
Well, I, mean, so I think these are different constituencies. Uh, well, they are, but I mean, I think the Chicks Dig series. I mean, this is the these, these are the third and fourth of the Chicks Dig series to make the Hugo ballot Ooh. over the years. Uh, Lynn Thomas's yeah. Chicks Dig Time Lords won a couple of years ago, uh, and I think it's indicative of a rising school of popular feminist science fiction discussion. Right, I think <clears> you're right. And so I think that's okay. an interesting thing. Uh, the fact we've got now two books about you know. You know Fe, you know, female fans talking about Doctor Who uh, and doing it in an academic or near academic kind of a way uh, is mm-hmm. important. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's a really interesting thing. I was quite curious to see Marty Greenberg on the ballot with a book, with a bibliography of all things. I thought that's that was the kind of, oddest thing on the ballot because uh, how I many to, people have seen that? No, I know. And there's a couple of things which I honestly thought should have been there, and this is one that would never have occurred to me in a million years. So, Whereas Writing Excuses was on last year and may even have been on the year before uh, as an ongoing popular thing with uh, Branton Sanderson and Mary Robin at Cowell and, and a couple other people. So, um, yeah. I mean, the books that I'm really... Dis- you- Sorry? Well, I was just going to ask what books you thought should be on this that weren't. The two books that or I that think you would should- like to- The book I'm surprised is not there is Distrust That Particular Flavor by William Gibson. Uh, mm-hmm. I would thought Bill Gibson would have had a high enough profile. And the book that I didn't think that was, mm-hmm. w- would be there but deserved to be there was uh, Benchmarks Continued by Aldous Budras, the second oh, collection yeah. of his essays, which mm-hmm. I think would have been a very gnarly, interesting kind of a nominee. And I think both of those books, frankly, are more substantial than a couple of the nominees that are there. So mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that they didn't, but I'm the only surprised that Gibson yeah, it wasn't. I would have thought he would have carried himself yeah, on, but I think people just weren't thinking of it in that kind of a context. So, yeah. And, I mean, this last year was won by the SF Encyclopedia. Uh, we've got two mm-hmm. previous winners, obviously, in the Cambridge Companion and in Lynn Thomas's Chicks Dig Comics, because mm-hmm. she did, t- did Time Lords. So there's some real comp- it'll be some interesting competition amongst the people who've read this. And, of course, these books will all be uh, packed up and available in the Hugo packet, so people will be able to have informed opinions about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Then we come to other categories. Unless you've got something else to say about related work other than that Gary's uh, <clears throat> big project for Library of America wasn't eligible, so couldn't be nominated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, it's Gary, not, you could have been a contender, but no. Gary's always um, a contender. Well, I mean, but it's interesting. You know, there are no categories for best story collection, for example. Uh, there's no category for best anthology, just for best editor. Uh, so it's 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 kind of an odd way this has evolved over the years, and other awards have different kinds of categories. Yes, right. That's true. It's it, it, it's interesting to me too, because um, because of course I had a short story collection come out last year, and I was like, I wonder if there are any awards. And it turned out that mm-hmm. there was no Nebula for short story collections, and there was no Hugo for short story collections. So mm-hmm. so, and it does seem odd because you know the collections. Um, you know, that in, there's so much meat that happens when you start seeing collections. And there are original collections where you may not see that author's short fiction mm-hmm. any other way. Yes, there's only a few. Like, like well, World, World Fantasy, a couple others have um, best collection. Yeah. That's about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Yaganath and, is not on here anywhere because it's a collection, even though it's a brilliant book. Yes, even though, yeah, and, and, and we did give it a Crawford Award uh, this year. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, and Marie McHugh had that brilliant collection out, which basically did get, I believe, the Shirley Jackson Award. The Apocalypse Collection. I'm blanking on the title of it. So After there the are ways of doing that, but it's odd when a science fiction book... What was, what was the title? After the Apocalypse. After the Apocalypse. It is, which is, which is essentially a science fiction book, ends up 
with its only chance to get awards either from World Fantasy or Shirley Jackson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. There might be a couple others. I'm sure there are if we looked, but and I'm not. I, was, I, I briefly had this thought that oh, we should start an awards for the best collection. I went, no, that's not. No, that no. lies mad. I know because then somebody bit, has to administrate it. <laughs> and we would call it the Le Guin Award because she came up with the whole story sweet idea, and it'd be. Oh yeah. no, yeah. no, no. Anyway, let's move along. I don't have much to say about the best okay. graphic story. Do you guys? Well, let's see. This best editor short form has this chap, uh, Jonathan Strahan, on it, which is great. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Congratulations. It also had, yeah, best editor long form um, is, uh, uh, you know, in some ways it's people we've seen. We The best editors, I think often we see the same people year after year. And I think that's true this year. I think all these people have been on it before. No, I'm not that's sure about not true. Over. No, I mean, in, be, uh, in best editor short form, it's exactly the same ballot as last year. Right, right. And, and I don't yeah. remember Sheila Gilbert, but the others, I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. Tony Weisskopf from Bain hasn't been nominated before, I don't believe. Really? Mm. So what you've got is, I, I mean, okay, in short form. I just assumed. No, 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 no. <laughs> in short form, JJA, Neil Clark, uh, and myself and Stan Schmidt and Sheila Williams were all last year. I think if you go back a year before that, you'll get, uh, I think Sheila, Stan, and I were on the year before that, and the year uh-huh, before that. Yeah. And Sheila's won the last two years. Ellen Dattler won the two years before that. Right. I guess the big thing on the short-form ballot is Stanley Schmidt, because Shan- Stanley right. Schmidt has been nominated in this category every year since 1980. He has been nominated 35 consecutive times, well, 34 consecutive times in this category and once for Best Short Story. He has mm-hmm. not won the award to date. Oh, and this is his last yeah. chance. Well, no, it's not his last chance. It's his last chance as editor of Analog. He can go off and do oh, other yeah. editing work and be eligible. But yes, his step down as the editor of Analog and been replaced by Brian Bianowski. And so Brian yeah. would be eligible uh, next year. But um, yeah, this is his last year as editor of Analog. So hmm. you've got John Joseph Adams principally as editor of Lightspeed and as an anthologist. Neil Clark, obviously, for Clark's World. Sheila Williams for Asimov's. Um, mm-hmm. Who, if you were to go by this Hugo vote, did not have a particular good, particularly good year, though they did much better on the uh, Nebula ballot, I think. So yeah, that's interesting. I think was that an interesting category. And yes, for for best editor long form, uh, what and uh, Anders, uh, uh, Lou Anders and Patrick Nielsen Hayden have won before. Uh, yeah. Anders Gorinsky and Nielsen Hayden have been nominated a number of times, with this being Liz Gorinsky's fourth consecutive nomination. But uh, Tony Weisskopf from Bain and Sheila Gilbert from from Door maybe where's she from is up for her first first time so. up yeah so that so, so that's a, that's interesting uh, and has a perhaps a slightly better gender balance with sort of three out of five nominees but yeah mm-hmm. yeah and let's see miscellaneous other things best semi prosine well this um, yeah effect- what's that? effectively a new category really. Yeah. Because all the rules changed last yeah. year, as we know. And it was one last yeah. year. By and I've never figured out the rules. I I understand that the, lo- the, the, the rules <laughs> now... Ex- but, I, I, yeah, so, so it's, it's, this, is, this, this is a worthy group. Mm. But I, I confess I've never understood what the rules were that, that excluded a lot of publications, not just Locust, but a number. Yeah. Um, so what what is a semi-prosing outside of how many people it employs and how much money it makes? Well, in fact, it doesn't seem to have it. 
in this instance, I think one of the keys is you have to go look at the definition of professional, and it's where it's you're not professional. In other words, you're not uh, deriving your full-time income from it. So we can put up the actual definition, but yeah, that, that's what it relates to. And the reason that something like Locust well, is no longer eligible is because people make their full-time income from it. I guess that's true, but that means it's the only category, if I'm not mistaken, in the entire Hugo that has a means test. No, I assume it would apply to the no, no, I'd assume it would apply to the fan categories as well because um, writing excuses, which appears in okay, right, uh, best related work, would be eligible for fan cast were it not for the fact that they're paid for it. I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe so. <laughs> I looked it up. Um, interestingly, Apex and Lightspeed are repeat nominees, and I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that that uh, mm-hmm. Strange Horizons, if they win, will. Bankrupt Lone Star Con because they'll need nine rockets. The number of Hugo's will need to have been made. Well, Squeakcast, I had, I had, I felt as though the uh, um, the budget was squeaking after that because they had what seven. But yeah, yeah Strange Horizons and the SF Squeakcast, if they both win this year, that's it. They're just going to have to cancel the Hugos from here on out. <laughs> That'll exactly. be 16, 16 Hugos to. Uh, to just two, two of the, the two categories, um, awards. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Hugo, um, well, to see the, the WSFS consider revising its rules to say that you know one not you know, one win equals one Hugo, and you know you can split it amongst yeah. yourselves as as you wish. Um, yeah, because I know these things are not cheap. No, <laughs> uh, I mean that said, I mean, I mean you got some, been, yeah. When Charles used to win all the time, I think he would have two people go on stage with him, and he could easily have said, well, everybody on the staff, not necessarily mere writers like me, but you know, everybody in, in, in the Oakland office should get one. But I think uh, he simply decided, okay, there are going to be three people, me and two other people. And I think that's what he did year after year. Right. I think so they could right. easily limit the number of awards to three. <laughs> well, that's assuming you that, yeah. that, 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 I mean, Locus is no, rele- no longer relevant to this category, Carrie, so... I'm, I'm simply talking about the, the, the sort of strategy of figuring out how many Hugos do you want to claim if you're a magazine run by a collective. Mm-hmm. And if you set yeah. a maximum of three, yeah. as simply being good breeding, then uh, people would have to decide which yeah. three are going to get it. I think, I think one thing that we can right. say is that you've got five principally fiction sites, fiction, online magazines. That seems to be what semi-prosian suddenly means because uh, none of them are principally print or print at all anymore. Uh, you've got a science fiction fantasy magazine in Apex, which was nominated last year, and Lynn Thomas won for her best related work previously. Beneath Ceaseless Skies, uh-huh. which is a uh, adventure fantasy site, a very good and up and coming one. Clark's yeah. World, which mm-hmm. we've discussed before, which I think, if I understand and recall correctly, Neil has expressly said he's got, he's pushing to increase the revenue base for Clark's World to get it out of this category because he wants it to become a full professional magazine. And I think we'd all wish him every success with that endeavor because that would be a good yes, thing for absolutely. the field. Uh, Lightspeed, Lightspeed, I wasn't aware that Stefan Rudnicki was a, a co-editor there or publisher or something. But uh, that's JJA and has published some very good stuff over the last few years. And, of course, Strange Horizons, which is great to see with its enormous cast of thousands. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, that's right. And I've got to say, I've got nothing to say about fan, best fanzine other to, than, than to note SF Signal won last year, and it's the same ballot except for elitist book reviews appears for the first time. Uh-huh. And I haven't read the others, but I do note that Chris Garcia is the chap who had the enormously emotive acceptance uh, speech a few years back 
Uh, I, I think when they're right. in, um, uh, oh gosh, the that horrible, horrible casino, Gary. You remember? Reno. In Re- oh, yes. <laughs> ghastly casino, where at least they had a pub or a bar actually in the dealer's room, which made it better. But uh, and that, I, I think it's one of the few cases where the you, you win an award and then you got nominated for the for the Hugo for his acceptance speech, which was a remarkably efficient thing to do. Yeah. Right. I know. I'm just a, a poser. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> well, the, you know, I haven't the, done that. No. The awards are let yet let yet long let young, yet young. Who yeah, knows? that's true. That's true. And then we have, of so, course, the fan cast. Right, yeah. And Coot Street is here, I see. So congratulations, gentlemen. Thank you. And, Good of course, work. a little well, bit of that would belong to you because you were a guest a couple of times during that year. Momentarily. Yeah, see couple if I came more often. Then, then we'd have three people who, if you <laughs> ever won, would get profit. Oh, Gary, <laughs> next year we're going to put every single guest down. Yeah, let's yeah, do let's do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'll all vote for it, too. So, I mean, that's good. Oh, that's like evil genius. It's a strategy that just might work. <laughs> I'll point out exactly the same ballot as last year. Last year yeah. won by the SF Squee cast with Elizabeth Bear, Paul Cornell, Sean and McGuire, Lynn Thomas, Kat Valenti, and David Mahoney Chase, which is six Hugos worth of Hugoness, which would have kept them busy. And Starship Sofa, where Tony Smith had his remarkably enthusiastic acceptance the year before that. So, yay. (laughs) And I'm delighted to see our friends Galactic Suburbia on here, another Australian podcast. Uh, who also, you Australians are crazy. I'm pod- impressed. We're podcasty people. And we've got other good ones too. I, I would point out the writer and the critic to you who should, who actually I think would, mm. were on my ballot for this. So I've got no idea who's going to win. I think the Squeakast have got a good chance. And I think what's one thing that will change is last year, no award featured very strongly in this category. Uh, I think because mm. at that point it was still a was this category going to survive or not category? And then it became a permanent category after that. Right. So my guess is that um, that won't happen, and you'll you'll might might see sort of vote shift around, but some very fine podcasts yeah. in amongst there. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. And the only thing is, I, if you guys are happy, I just skip ahead to the Campbell Award. Let's do that thing. Yep. Although now, I just want right. to say one thing. Yes. Maureen Starkey is up for best fan artist. Yep. And I kind of want her to win because she won last year, I think. Yep. And she was so cute. I sat next to her in the audience and she was so cute when she came back with it. So I think she should have another one just for that. <laughs> well, actually, I'm <should, laughs> okay. skipping over. I just realized I skipped over <laughs> another Australian on the ballot. The other one, the other dual nominee, Tansy Rainer Roberts. Mm-hmm. Of Tasmania, oh, yeah. who's up for best fan writer, has been yes. very prolific, putting out a lot of really high quality uh, fan writing over the past year. So, congratulations to her for her nomination. Nice. But then the Campbell, okay, Campbell. The, the Campbell, um, the interesting group. I'd not heard of Zen Show before. Had you guys? No, I'd no. Not. Zen, uh, and I should have because actually I've read some of her works. So it should have stuck in my mind. She's a Malaysian writer, and she, uh, she's got written one self-published historical romance novel and a batch of short stories on strange mm-hmm. horizons and places like that. Uh, but only a very small group, maybe five or six stories, I think, over the last year or two. So she's an interesting new writer. Yeah, it's um, impressive that she got on with short fiction like that. Yeah. So that's impressive. Then you got yeah. Mac, Max Gladstone, who had a novel from Tor called Three Parts Dead. Uh, that I've not read. Did not see it. Uh, you've got Chuck, Wen- Chuck Wendig, who's a writer and games designer, who had a couple of books out from Angry Robot. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. Then you've got the two that I'm most familiar with, Stina Light, who has had two novels out from uh, the ill-fated Nightshade books. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Mer Lafferty, of course, who's a, who's a very well-known, prolific writer and producer and podcaster and who has a new novel coming from Orbit called A Shambling Guide to New York. <laughs> yeah. I, You know, with the John W. Campbell Award, I, I never can even guess because they're always so, such new writers that I don't know enough about them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes it's... <clears throat> Sometimes it's somebody who makes a spectacular debut, like um, I don't know Mary Rickard or Margot Lanigan. But more often than not, it's people who may have done one or two things. I've seen Stina Likes novels, mm. and I'm familiar with Murlocky. But but apart from that, these are names <clears throat> that don't mean much to me. I wanted to go back to another yeah. <clears throat> point. <clears throat> excuse me. Involving Tansy, because and I've read some of Tansy's posts, and she's essentially a critic. She's a critic. Like, <clears throat> like I am, like Paul Kincaid is, but because of the way she publishes, she becomes a fan writer. What's the line between a fan writer and a journalist and a critic? Or is there one? Money. Yeah. Money. Oh, Money. okay. <laughs> so fan writing <laughs> is on. Easy, <laughs> fan writing is on paid for writing. So you get. I mean, that's why Joe Walton's posts on Tor.com. You know, they're not. They're paid for. Um, but uh, if you post on your blog, if you put stuff on Strange Horizons, all uh, all those kinds of things, um, they're all eligible for fan writing. So that's why John yeah, like Scalzi was able to get to win for best fan writer for his blog. Well, and Fred uh, Pohl for that matter. Mm, yeah. Exactly. He's like the best example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, actually, what's nice about it, I like the fact that it, it disregards income in that way because it means that we can see a range of, fa- you know, like, wh- where the spirit of it is fan, where it's actually enthusiasm rather than anything else. And so th- this t- t- seems to be unpaid enthusiastic writing, if you like. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, sort of, yeah. As opposed yeah, to... Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> As opposed to unenthusiastic paid writing. <laughs> As opposed, oh, as opposed God, to barely paid that. unenthusiastic writing. Um, right. This is one of those things... This, this is... I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, the point is that fan writing suggests to me and historically suggests fanzines which have lots of gossip and that sort of... What we're now getting, and Tansy's a good example of that, is substantial, well-thought-out criticism, which were there venues available she could get paid for. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but she doesn't. And, and I'm not talking about the... Again, it's the means test sort of thing. Uh, I suspect that there's a lot of really good criticism in this fan writer category that I know nothing about sure. because it's not part of the network that it reaches to me. Yep, and I have to say that I've actually read some of Christo- Christopher J. Garcia's stuff, and it's actually very mm-hmm. good stuff. Christopher J. Garcia cunningly being also being Chris Garcia from further up the ballot. Oh, um, yes. Um, <laughs> so... Um, obviously under different names, so there you go, because you've got three nominations. So I guess as we look at this latest postcard from the um, patriarchal hegemony, <laughs> what do we think of it at, 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 as, we, as we reach the end of it? As we read Chuck Wendig's name and we look back at over over the last hour of conversation about it, what say, we'll go around this, just briefly, Kitch, what's your impression of it having considered it now? I... I have a hard time telling. I, I uh, This is a year where I really wasn't able to do much reading at all. So I'm looking at this. I'm seeing a lot of um, a lot of names I've seen before. But it, the last few years, I've really been struck by the fact that 10 years ago, we saw the same names year after year after year after year. If Connie Willis, if Connie Willis had anything written, it was on the ballot. And it was like mm-hmm. that for forever. And it's all new names now from where it was 10 years ago. Um, that's why Pat being on the ballot is kind of a, a delightful surprise to me because it's like these names are names that I just really did not see. 
Um, So that's the one thing that I come out of it with. These are people, these are new writers. It is a new generation. And I like that. Gary? I like that. And I also like the fact that there are names like uh, Stan Robinson and Lois Bujold and Nancy Kress who are. Nancy. uh, Right. So, so, so there, there's a, there's a mix there. Uh, I guess my sense, uh, apart from that, and apart from the fact that I do want to read some of these things now, is of the things I've read, um, it's a solid but not very exciting ballad. Mm. You know, th- th- there's nothing here that makes me think, my God, I've completely missed the boat, because uh, a lot of the things I expected to show up here did show up here. Um, there are some things that I would have liked to have seen on here, but I knew had no realistic chance, like like John Harrison. So I wouldn't say it's a bad ballot, but it's not one that makes me think, wow, this is a great year for science fiction. Yeah. 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 Well, when you get that, I guess yeah, I look at it and what I think is uh, this is a year in flux. I think we're beginning to see the novel ballot or the, the novel ballot continues to be disassociated from the rest of the, of the ballot in some ways. It's a, the most widely read part of the ballot with generally yeah. more than double the amount of nominations. So it's much harder to get onto. It's a much more populist thing than the rest of the ballot. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing new stable names establishing themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Mira Grant and Sh- Sean McGuire is obviously a vastly popular writer who's uh, getting a lot of attention right now, which is interesting to see. Um, I think we're seeing, as we've touched on before, the changes in short fiction. I think we're seeing the new the new old names evolving very quickly because uh, yeah. people like Kat Valenti and uh, Ken Liu and mm-hmm. Elliot de Bodard are people, and Jay Lake are people who have been nominated and discussed quite a lot over the last couple of years right. and who you'd now expect to see, particularly if they make a more successful uh, transition to novel. I mean, like Elliot, Elliot has had quite a number of, has a handful of novels published, but none have really got a lot of uh, discussion as yet. Ken Liu hasn't published a novel yet, so it'll be interesting yeah. how that goes. And for the rest of it, you know, you do see sort of the trends shifting through the field. You know, the rise, the the, the increase in the vo- the rise of the voice of feminist science fiction, which is an interesting welcome thing to see. Uh, I'm glad though we didn't really talk about it to see the graphic story ballot, um, first of all, changing up a bit, and uh, having a few different things. And so that that's good. I mean, I've got a favorite there. So all in all, I'm reasonably pleased. A lot of my favorites aren't here, but that's fine. But all in all, mm-hmm. a, a, a good solid ballot. I would I agree with you, Gary. If for 2013, a fairly expected safe ballot. Mm. Now, do we have time, and do we want to play the should win, could win uh, game, or should we just leave that for another uh, time? You must yeah. have things. We could do that. Yeah. But, sure. Kids, okay. kids, one of the things you got to get used to if you're going to be on this podcast is that Jonathan spontaneously says, let's do this, and he's spent hours preparing it. No, I haven't. I really haven't. No, you haven't? No, I haven't. I really haven't. So let's go through. We'll go around by category, Kidge, Gary, then me. How does that sound? So no, okay. no, no. You've already got me that way at okay. least once. Well, so should we do the other way? Should... Then Kidge, then Jonathan. So, so Gary first. Gary first, then me, then you? Yeah, no, Gary, me, and then you. Okay, so Gary, you go first. Best novel, could win, nom- should win. Okay. Of the nominees, or I will think, win, should win. Yeah. I think twenty three twelve should win. I think red shirts will win. Actually, that's what I was going to say. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think twenty three twelve should win. And will win. I think uh, the really? only one, I think the only book that's going to challenge it is the the Bujold. Oh yeah, that's true. She's. I don't. I don't think that readers the, the, have not had anything to vote for for a while now. 
Uh, I could give you reasons why, but to, at its simplest, that's what I'd say. I'd say 2312 okay. is the most likely winner, but I, I would not be surprised to see Bujold. Now, Novella, okay. you can just be completely sort of not knowing. You can just have a guess. So, Gary? Well, again, not knowing anything more than the one, actually one and a half stories. Yeah. Um, I would say should win would be Nancy Cress. I think will win would be The Stars Do Not Lie by Jay Lake. I am, I think I might say that the Nancy Cress will win. I would agree that it should win, and I think it may win. Okay. Because it's Nancy. Yeah. I think the Elliot de Bodard story on a red station drifting should win, and I think The Stars Do Not Lie by Jay Lake will win. Okay. Best novelette, over to you, Gary. Novelette. Um, I am really out of my league here, uh, but I'm going to, based on what I've heard during this podcast, um, I'm going to say that the Pat Cadigan, the girl thing who went out for sushi, should win, and Fade to White by Cat Valenti will win. I can't guess which one should win, but I would say the Cat one will win. Okay. Allowing that I know that we've put Edge of Infinity in the voter packet, mm-hmm. I think that, okay, what do I think, honestly? So I'm, I've got compromised views here. I think that yeah. uh, I, I want the girl thing who went out for Shushi to win, but I think Fade to White might win, but I'll be voting for the girl thing who went out for Shushi. Mm. Right. Now, should good taste force us to draw the curtain over best short story and move ahead other than wishing kids well? You, you know, I think, I think a, it. Hmm? I think we should draw the curtain across it. <laughs> Fair enough. We can do that. Best related work. Gary. <clears throat> Cambridge Companion should win. Chicks Dig Comics will win. Yeah. One of the two Chicks books will. I would agree with Gary. Yeah. Best. I just think that Chicks Dig Comics, because that's involved, because Lynn Thomas was involved. Sure, it. sure. Right, yeah. Best graphic story. Have you guys um, read any of them? Oh, geez, I've, no, I'm totally out of my league. <laughs> I know I've, I've seen a few of them, but I couldn't judge because I haven't read enough of them to tell you anything about the story. I've, I've read a number of them, and I'll just simply say Absolutely Should Win is Saga, Volume 1 by Brian K. Vaughan, which is a okay, terrific yeah. graphic novel. Right. Best dra- Dramatic Presentation Long Form. I'm sorry. Otherwise known, as, uh, uh. otherwise known as the category of people who least care about whether they're nominated at all or not. Right. Uh, who people probably don't even know this. Right. Gosh, could win, should win. It's your turn, Gary, because I actually have input this time. Oh, this is kind of hard. Um, I'm going to make a really oddball kind of choice here. I'm going okay. to say that should win is. I'm, I'm going to say that should win is the cabin in the woods, and that will win will probably be. Oh, I'm between the Hunger Games and the Hobbit. Um, I'll uh, go with the Hobbit. Uh, no? I would say should win. I actually think Hunger Games should win, but I think the Hobbit will win. I think the Hunger Games okay, should sure. win, but I think the Avengers will win. Yeah, okay, but Avengers comes in a close second for me. I would be happy if it won. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was kind of there too, but uh, the Hobbit was especially if uh, awful. Roger Downey Jr. comes and accepts, which he never would, but but it could happen. <laughs> then I could introduce myself to him, and then all of a sudden, you know, sparks would fly. It'd be great. 
Okay. Uh, short form. Oh, I don't know. Doctor Who or Fringe or Game of Thrones. Gary? Uh, I don't know. Kids, you go. <laughs> you going to say something. I was going to say, should win one of the Doctor Who episodes, could win one of the Doctor Who episodes. How's that? I reckon George Martin's going to win for Game of Thrones. I was going to say that. My reasoning is this. Actually, yeah. I would have said, well, first of all, there's a, there's a sentimental vote for Fringe because it's off the air. It's this last season. But Doctor Who wins often, but it always wins when there's a Neil Gaiman script. This right. is one of and, George Martin's scripts for Game of Thrones. So it's right. not only Game of Thrones, it's George. Yeah. So I think it would win. True that. Okay. Best the, editor, short form. Are we going to draw the veil over this, or think, are we not? I think, I think we probably should, don't you? I mean, okay. I, I think we no, would. Because, you know, that would be better. Best editor, long form. Do we have any thoughts on this one? Let's see, Gary? Not many. Uh, and I know some of these are familiar names, and I'm trying to... This is, okay, this is the problem that I have every year, is that you try to remember what these people have worked on only in the last year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right, yeah. It's like they've been there, working uh, for yeah, a few There are years. lots of... Uh, well, for example, there are some of my favorite novels have been edited by Patrick. And yeah. Patrick Nielsen. Yeah, was that this year? Okay. Okay. Uh, my thoughts? No, 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 kids, your thoughts. Do you have any thoughts before I give you my thoughts? Uh, on long form? No, I don't have any this okay. time. Uh, could win Patrick Nielsen, sorry, probably will win Patrick Nielsen Hayden, probably should win Sheila Gilbert because she is one of the senior door editors and they have picked up Nettie Okorafor's book and Saladin Ahmed's book and have been changing themselves around a bit. So there, that's my feeling. True, yeah. Okay. Pro pro professional artist, one last year by John Picaccio, Gary. Oh, I think John Picaccio will win again. Um, I know a couple of these artists. I like uh, Dan Dos Santos. I think I know Julie, Julie Dillon's work, but I'm not sure that's the person I'm thinking of. She's also Julie I Bell, so. I think. No, no, that's not. That's, that's Julie Bell. No, 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 no. No, I don't know Julie Dillon's work. Ju I don't think. No, isn't Julie Dillon? One of the Dillons? No, no, she's Le last, the Leo, their daughter, Leo and Diane Dillon's daughter. Right, okay, got it. Is she their daughter? I think she, so, yes. Really? Is she Leo and Diane's daughter? I believe so. I'll be able to tell oh, you in a well, minute if you keep... I'd vote for her. I'd vote for her because I love her parents. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have to admit, I was right there, too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I, I hope we can agree that's a fairly lame-ass reason to vote, vote for anybody. I know, but people vote for stupid reasons sometimes. It's like, he's got a really nice name. I think I'll vote for him. <laughs> See, I'm not going to go down the you know, the, the stupid sort of name, you know, reasons, the emotive reasons for voting in this in this ballot. But I'm quite happy to say that. I mean, actually, I'd like to see Don Dos Santos get up or Vinnie Chong. I've, I know their work and like it very much. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, very popular. And deservedly so. Semi prosine. Do you have any thoughts on best semi prosine? Um, I'd go with. Hmm. I would say Clark's World and Clark's World, actually. That's what I was going to say. I think Clark's World is, yeah. should win and will win. I'm comfortable with that yeah. as, as, as a consensus, an overwhelming consensus. <gasps> Dear Neil, yeah, we're just going to ship you the Hugo and you can stay home. Don't yeah. go to stay home. Yeah, take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Keep have your feet a, up. Have a Hugo. It's fine. It's on us. On us. Call this number before uh, midnight and you can have two Hugos. Set of state nice. Fanzine. Speaking handling. I have no real okay. feeling on fanzine, but you guys? Uh, nor the do only I. One on this list I really know is. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, I, I, I know who, John Denardo. I, yeah, SF Second Signal last year, so you know I'll be happy to see them win again. I would right. too. I think they're okay. Best fan cast. We've been so dis- discreet elsewhere. I just want us to win this year. Sorry. I I think that would be great. <laughs> so yes. I th- I think <laughs> could, should win would be Cook Street, of course. Um, <laughs> and I would say it's gonna be tough. But I mean, because Squeak Cast is popular, it's got a huge yeah. cast of characters, and they all have, you know, vivid, lively online presences. Um, and I think that's tough to beat. You guys need to start doing more like casual blogging and things online. What? We're busy, kids. Probably. You're right. No, I know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I think SF Squeak Cast will probably win. I think it's a strong uh, ballot yeah. overall. Delighted to see Galactic Suburbia yeah. there. So, yeah. Fan yeah. writer, I, uh, could win, should win, or should we just roll a dice and just sort of say we want Tansy Ren Roberts to win? That's what I would be doing. I okay. would just be picking out of a hat. <laughs> well, no, not, not out Silver of a hat. Is a friend who's, yep. But, but uh, Tansy, I, I, again, Stephen Silver is somebody I've known for years. He's in this, nominated in this category almost every year. But, uh, I, but Tansy's work is just really substantial critical work, and I think it deserves to be recognized. Yeah, I agree. And not even so. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd vote for Tansy. Me too. And then we slide down. Well, oh no, we move down the ballot. We don't slide down. That sounds worse. To fan artist, <laughs> and you're you, you're pro Maureen Starkey, Kidge, and I like you, so I'm happy to say Maureen Starkey. Right there we go. Yeah. And you, Gary? Um, John- uh, Maureen Starkey. It's uh, she's she's the daughter of Richard Starkey, right, Ringo? That's the one. Yes. Very funny. Okay. Yeah. Well done. I don't know. I don't know any of these names. I'm sorry. You don't. You don't know Brad Foster? I can't believe that. I do. That. Actually, I do. I know Brad Foster. Yeah. That's yeah, right. that's right. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do. Okay, I do. You're right. Of course you do. Just took me a minute to connect. Yes. And right. then we come to the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer in Brackets, Not a Hugo. No brackets on the uh, website, though. There will be. So, all right. Yeah. Could and should. Gary... Oh dear. Um, I like Stina Likes' first two novels, and this is her last year, I believe, of eligibility. So I would say mm-hmm. she should win, uh, and I'm going to guess that Merle Lafferty will win. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, that's about what I was thinking too. So I guess that's it. That, that, that's the ballot. That's that's the Hugo episode. We've got to them. We've told everybody what they should okay. think. And everybody has to nominate and vote now and buy memberships and stuff. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I gotta and go buy my membership. And I gotta I've gotta buy a dress. Oh. I'm not gonna be there. Oh yeah. Oh, then I don't need to buy a dress. <laughs> I'm trying to work out the subtext of that. Okay. Um <laughs> that sounded worse than it was. <laughs> but you are going, Kidge. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had okay. um, James Gunn is the uh, guest of honor, um, and he's my mentor, so of course I'm gonna go. Okay. Well, we'll talk about this off off podcast, but I think I'm going now too. Okay. Uh, okay, anyway. that's excellent. So, well, kids was on my case because I I swear I still claim lay claim to being Jim Gunn's first student, first science fiction student in academia. Wow. And uh, I really kind of years before Kessel, decades before Kids was there, you know, right. millennia <laughs> before this current craft. Okay. Yeah, so I think it'll be she should go. 
It'll well, be good. It'll okay. be good. And it's San Antonio, so it's the Riverwalk. And I'll be there. So that's yeah, good, sure. too, I guess. Well, maybe we can talk. We, we can sort of get, get back together when the Hugo nom- nominees are sort of done. Well, well, when the awards are known and we can discuss how it all played out. Right. We can do that thing. So with that, we might chat for a second afterwards. With that, thank you very much, Kids Johnson. And thank you for letting me come and play in your playground. And Gary. Uh, until next week. We will talk again in a week. We Absolutely. And for you, those of you out there who are listening now, this is your chance to go out and make a difference in the Hugo Awards. The nominations are known. Vote. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week.